But we're so honored to be with you, and uh, I'm going to share a little word with you this evening. Um, <clears throat> and I pray that it would be a blessing to you. I must say that uh, my heart is full with admiration for Zane. Um, so incredible. Well done. I think he sings a little bit better than all of us. <laughs> God bless you. He's so handsome. And I want to thank uh, uh, George Telez and his son Timothy for bringing us tonight, really close friends and family members. And to all the pastors that are here this evening, welcome and thank you for being with us this evening. I'd like to read a couple of scriptures for you. If Ed had actually asked me to play the guitar, and I haven't played in a while, you know, and I don't want to come behind a really tough act like Zane, you know, so I'll play for you in the, in the office later. <laughs> Praise God. I want to turn to a scripture, a couple of scriptures uh, for you here. And uh, I want to go to the book of St. John, please. <clears throat> and I want to go to chapter number four and read from verse 35. John 4, starting from verse 35. And while you're going there, I'd like to just, uh, again, just appreciate uh, Pastor Allen for listening to the Lord and building this incredible church, of course, with your support and your help. And thank you for helping and supporting. Uh, it's a wonderful facility. And a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. That's so wonderful. When we were coming up, Timothy kept on saying to his dad, just keep on going, you'll see it on a hill. And sure enough, there you are. And that's more than just a building, as you know. It's very prophetic. Praise the Lord. Uh, I want to read uh, chapter number 4, verse 35, starting there. And uh, the scripture says, Say not you, there are yet five months, then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And look on the fields, for the fields are white already to harvest. And, and, and this is an incredible verse because, you know, we've been praying for years, Father, send the harvest, when he's saying the fields are already white, ready to harvest. And he that reaps, receives wages, and gathers fruit unto life eternal, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. And wherein or herein is that saying true, one sows and another reaps. Now I can live with that because the Bible says what a man sows, that also will he reap. But verse 38 is an incredible verse because he says here, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored. And he says, but you are entered into their labors. In other words, you are going to reap where you didn't sow. You're going to reap where you did not sow. I also want us to turn to, uh, uh, let's go to Saint, uh, let's go to the book of Acts first. Acts chapter number 13. Or, yeah, Acts 13. And I want to read in Acts chapter number 13, just one little verse there, <clears throat> verse 36. 
Acts 13, verse 36. Scripture says here uh, concerning David, it says that for David, after he had served his own generation, after he served his own generation, and then he says, by the will of God, he fell asleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. I want to share a little something here concerning serving our generation for the purpose of the harvest that God is sending. In a country like the United States, it's, it's because you have so many uh, plan Bs. Plan A is, of course, when the rain comes, you're going to get a great harvest but you have so many irrigation systems and so many waterways that have been dammed uh, where there's reservoirs of water that last sometimes years. So a drought can come to this part of the world and just pass. And you, you may not even feel it a lot of times and there'll be a little warning, you know, guys, easy with your sprinklers. We're experiencing a bit of a drought, you know. But it's neither here nor there. But in our part of the world, when there's a drought, People die. At present in our country, in the last year or so, the, the drought has been so severe, it's been estimated that almost 5 million people possibly could die as a result of starvation. And those are catastrophic figures when you consider that the population is between 12 to 13 million. So you're looking at 45 to 50% of an entire population of a nation being wiped out. And in proportion, that would mean in the United States almost 130 million people die in a year because of no food. And so when we talk about a drought, we talk about nothing growing, animals dying, and uh, natural vegetation being totally devastated, and the advancement of the, of, the, of the deserts that are there, the Namibian desert and also the Kalahari desert, which are moving on a daily basis to consuming a lot of, of, of our part of Africa. So when the scripture talks about uh, a harvest coming, it takes faith to believe God for a harvest. It takes absolute faith to understand that when God sends a harvest, he is sending it irrespective of the prevailing conditions. And it's our responsibility to believe with God that that harvest is going to be prevalent. Now, there's a number of things we need to talk about concerning the process of a harvest. The first one, before there can be a harvest, number one, they have to be the seed. The quality of the seed is important. If we are going to have a qualitative harvest, there has got to be a quality seed that is sown. And so, if you're going to reap, you have to be prepared to sow. And that is in every single category of your life. If you're going to reap a harvest, you have to be willing to sow. Okay? And and and. The greater quality you sow, the greater quality you're going to reap. And so we say to young people, sow into your life now while you're young. The principle is, uh, if you want to play later, you pay now. But if you play now, you pay later. 
in the black community, we say, if you want curls tomorrow, you got to roll it tonight. <laughs> it's called the roll and curl principle. Roll tonight, curls tomorrow. <laughs> the second principle is not just the quality of the seed, but it's the quality of the soil. And I want to spend a little bit of time here the quality of the soil. Uh, a supermarket chain of uh, stores in England called Tesco's, which is probably equivalent to your Kroger's uh, or Albertons, a group of their house scientists uh, put out a paper of an incredible finding. And their finding was that uh, when they were testing a certain brand of onion, they discovered generally that the true nature of an onion is, is not to sting your eyes when you cut it. So that when you cut an onion and you start crying because the, the onion stings your eyes, they said, that's not the true nature of an onion. And they went on to sh show us why that onion will do that. Because when they examine the soil in which onions grow, it's what's in the soil that causes the onion to have that particular testimony that it will sting your eyes. And they discovered that sulfur in the soil creates that characteristic in the onion. And so the scientists extracted the sulfur from the soil and grew onions in sulfurless soil. And when the onions were harvested, they looked like onions, they tasted like onions, they smelled like onions, and you could even bite and eat it like an apple, but it wouldn't sting you because they extracted the sulfur from the soil. And, and in their finding, they were saying the true characteristic of an onion is not to sting your eyes. It's the sulfur in the soil that causes that. And, and you find that when we come into a church setting like this, we come from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of cultures, all kinds of different exposures in life, all kinds of behavioral patterns that, that we've been exposed to. And we come here and we get a word from the Lord based on a particular uh, depth, uh, based on a particular standard of faith, based on a particular educational standard, based on a particular religious testimony, based on a particular time of struggling or suffering or the process of revelation, based on where we are in the body of Christ corporately. And when we receive that word, depending on what kind of sulfur you have in your soil is going to determine the way you grow the seed of that word. And you can have people sitting in the same building get the same word. One person is growing very quickly in the Lord and the person next to you is not even hearing a word that's being said. And the problem is, it's the quality of the soil is poor. There's sulfur in the soil. You can have a, a, a testimony. Uh, we were having, uh, after our TBN appearance last night, we went out to eat with uh, Joseph Garlington and Mike Hayes. And we were talking about a certain church uh, in the States where the pastor has worked there for 25 years, gave his best years, his praise and worship uh, musicians and singers, the youth leaders, are all his own children. Uh, he has like five or six children. They lead the praise and worship. They play in the band. They handle the youth. And the church has about 2,000 members. And so when, when Mike went across to go and minister for this particular church, and he raised an offering for the pastor, so the pastor could at least live in a decent house because he was living literally in a dump. His associate pastor, whom incidentally he had taken out of jail, in the first place, and then the pastor sold his house and then gave the man $40,000 from the sale of the house to get his own house. 
bought him a car, put him through school, put some money in his pocket, helped the man get some credibility. That man got extremely offended when Mike took an offering for the pastor to buy the pastor a house. Now what's the deal with that? That man's been sitting on that pew for 22 years, supposedly serving the man of God in that house. But the problem was, the day the kind of seed that was sown, the soil was revealed as to what was really in the soil. Jesus said this, he said to, to, to the disciples in chapter number 13 of the book of St. Matthew, he said, now boys, I want you to know something. You're going to sow the seed, which is the word of God. There's nothing wrong with the seed. It's a quality seed. Peter said, it's the incorruptible word of God which is sown. The problem is the soil. Jesus said there are four kinds of soil. The first kind of soil is wayside. A word is sown and the, the, the seed, even though it's potent seed, even though it's the omnipotent power, infallible word of God, sown. If the soil is weak, the word of God can never grow. My challenge as an African preacher in Africa is trying to preach the word of God and persuade the African people that, that this Bible will work in America as it will work in Africa. Pastor, I need that bottle of water right there. I want to illustrate something. You see, this is H2O. It's a bottle of water. Everybody say water. water. Not water, water. water. <laughs> this is a bottle of water. Now, let's make an assumption that when I came from Africa last week, I traveled with this from Zimbabwe here. Because I got onto a plane in Harare and flew to Amsterdam and then Amsterdam to Houston, because I flew over the Atlantic Ocean via the Netherlands, does it change the formula of this water? So that the water in Zimbabwe in formula is exactly as the same as the water here. So why is it then that African people should have this crazy assumption that Jehovah Jireh is different in America than what he is in Africa? It's exactly the same Jehovah Jireh, exactly the same Jehovah Rapha. The same God in the USA is the same God in the bush in Africa. The problem is the soil. So my job as a churchman is not just to preach the word, but it's to take out the sulfur from the soil. If we're going to get a good harvest of good onions that don't sting people's eyes in the community, it's going to be because the preacher came and took the sulfur out of the soil. You can have people sit in church for years and still stubborn, nasty, angry, unforgiving, bitter, without faith, and yet somebody else in the same church for the same number of years is growing, is fruitful, is effervescent, is vivacious, is developing so wonderfully in the Lord. What's the deal? It's the soil. Tell somebody, work on your soil. Tell somebody, work on your soil. See, you have to work on your own soil. You have to extract the sulfur from your life. It's a matter of choice. All right. The, the second thing about the soil is this is that there are some environments that, that even if the soil is not a, a, a good quality, there are some environments that the intended purpose for the seed will produce a harvest. Now, Pastor Allen and Pastor Yvette will attest to this, that in our part of the world, we have some of the most picturesque and most scenic topography and terrain. And, and some parts of the continent, you can come there and you can find an entire mountain that's a rock almost half the size of Granbury. Well, I mean, this is not really a place you can attest to as a big place, you know. But you can get a rock almost half the size of Granbury. 
But on the top of that rock, I want you to watch this, right on the top of that bald-headed mountain, you will find a tree growing or you'll find a tuft of grass uh, being generated and manufactured there. How in the world did that seed get there? And here's the principle. A seed never has the choice as to where it has to be sown. When you open a packet of tomato seeds, everybody say tomato. tomato. Okay. <laughs> when you open up a packet of tomato seeds, the tomato seeds don't start yelling, I don't want to be planted here, I want to be planted in Arkansas. The seed has no choice where it's going to be planted. Has no choice. So much so that if you look at that tree growing on the top of a bald-headed mountain somewhere in Africa, that tree was once a seed because God starts everything in seed form. How did that seed get there? Well, firstly, it had no choice. There was a supernatural act by probably a wind that picked up that seed and removed it from its environment of where it was comfortable and transported it sometimes for many, many, many miles and sowed that seed in a very caustic, antagonistic environment. But there was enough soil there, just enough to grant that seed to grow. So when you begin to remove elements of sulfur in your life and you are just a handful of soil, just a thimbleful of soil, if the word of God will hit that soil, no matter what caustic environment you're in and no matter what kind of antagonistic environment you might be raised in, you might be raised in a God-hating society or a witch-infested society or a demonically-infested society. Once the word of God takes in that little bit of soil, eventually that seed will grow into an experience or it will grow into a tree. And you can see some of those trees growing on those mountains in Africa like in Matopas Range. You can see that for years and years, just by sheer persistence, one little tree with impecunious values has the power through its root structure to break that institution in pieces. So when you go to college, you might be in the midst of a whole bunch of kind of young girls that don't give a rip about you holding your virginity and being a Christian. And they might call you Mother Teresa's double. It really doesn't matter. As long as you are a seed planted in that kind of community, eventually that seed will take root and you will, by the power of God in you and the, 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 the quality of the soil that you have generated, you will break down the system that the devil thinks is secure. The third thing about the harvest is this is that there is definitely going to be a harvest. Now the problem with harvesting is this. It takes a lot more work for the harvest than it does for sowing the seed. Let's go to the book of Matthew. Matthew. Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9. Jesus is talking to his disciples and it's before they are commissioned into the apostolic ministry and get a mandate from the Lord in Matthew chapter number 10 verse 1. In Matthew 9, 37, Jesus has compassion on the multitude in verse 36. He was moved because they were scattered. They were weak. And so he says to his disciples, he has his disciples. This is the multitude. He says to his disciples, 
the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now watch what Jesus says here. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. Everyone say laborers. That he will send forth laborers into the harvest. The most crucial time, the most crucial time is harvest time. However way this falls, just grab it, all right? Sowing the seed is fun. It really is. It's fun sowing the seed. But nine months down the road, when it's Labor Day, that's not fun. Because associated with that harvest is phenomenal labor. There's, there, there's no labor in the sowing of the seed. I mean, if you look at, if you're just plowing a field and you're sowing the seed, there's very little labor. But if you watch those fellows up north, when they're getting into their wheat fields and their, their corn fields with those combine harvesters, there's just a little window, just a little window, that if they miss it, it's either early rain or snow that will damage a lot of work concerning that harvest. So he says, when you are ready for the harvest, you must pray for laborers. The word laborers there is not just manual labor, muscle and hard work and put your back into it and grease your elbows. The word labor has to do with strategic planning. You have to know when a window is opening in a certain place. Because if you don't harvest tomatoes at the right time, they could be too green and won't ripen enough to be a qualitative uh, uh, product. Or you could wait a little too long and the elements could sow a worm in that thing and destroy it. So when you pray for laborers, you have to pray for the kinds of individuals that are willing to work, but to work strategically. Yes. Strategically. Now let's go to the book of Isaiah. Everybody say Isaiah. Oh, I'm enjoying myself in this church. Amen. Amen. I want to make my sister feel at home. Isaiah 37. Let's go to Isaiah 37, verse number 3. Verse 3. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, and a day of rebuke, and a day of blasphemy. Now watch the grammatical point there. There's a, a colon there. For the children are come to birth. In other words, it's time to give birth, Zane, but watch this. And there is not strength to bring forth. We are at the most crucial time. What we have sought for, what we have planned for, has arrived. But there's no strength to bring it forth. You spent your best years sowing the seed, putting the stuff. You've prepared the soil. You have a powerful seed that's been sown. The soil is now brought forth. Three kinds of bringing forth, 30, 60, and 100, according to Matthew 13. Now the harvest is ready. We've, we've done all the weeding. We've taken out all the parasites. We've done all the, uh, you know, the spraying of the field. We've em employed helicopters and planes to come in to, to de-parasite the field. 
and, and we're ready now. We, we're ready to harvest, but the point is here. There's no strength to bring it forth. You have sown tw two, 220 hectares of wheat. You spent your best money. You borrowed money from the bank. You've put your house on collateral. Your name's on the line. And, and now you've got this huge harvest and it's a bumper crop. It's about to make you rich. The problem is you weren't ready for the harvest. He says here, when the harvest comes, pray, ask God to give you laborers. Someone say laborers. laborers. Now, this church is ready for a harvest. You are entering into a time, a window of phenomenal opportunity. You can't be snoozing when it's harvest time. See, that's the phone call telling him it's harvest time. <laughs> See, in harvest time, you, you, you have to be ready for that moment. Now, now watch this. We, we're dealing with scale here, all right? When you're dealing with scale, you, you have to come to the understanding that, that when God begins to lift a church or lift a people or lift a ministry or lift a family, he begins to do everything on a different scale altogether. For example, if you earning $30,000 a year, that's about $2,200 a month, average. And, and, and if you are on that scale, you don't shop at certain stores. There's certain kinds of places you don't go and eat. You, you're not driving to Dallas every second day to eat at Three Forks. Be, because the prices there are prohibitive. So you're on a certain scale. Your, your, your motor vehicles, your insurance, your, your, your fuel allowances that you've allotted to yourself, the clothes you wear, the ties you buy. Anybody wearing a tie here? I'm the only one. The ties you buy. Oh, there's one. Amen. Yeah, you're. The ties you buy, the shoes you wear, the trips you take. Okay? You are on a certain scale. Now, as time goes on, if you move now from 25,000, 30,000 to 60,000 a year, automatically, overnight, you start moving on a different scale altogether. You probably move from a Taurus to an expedition. You're on a different scale now, all right? You, you, you're moving on a totally different level altogether. You, you now can travel to Dallas uh, a couple of times a month and eat at three forks or five knives or something, whatever. <laughs> because you're on a totally different scale altogether. But then a couple of years later, if you move now from 60000 to $180,000 a year, now you're on a totally different scale altogether. Even the people you move with, the social structure is a little different. The way you walk, the way you talk, your mouth gets smaller because you start saying, Hello, how are you? <laughs> And you start becoming somewhat a little bit more affluent and you begin to post yourself in you begin to posture yourself in a different way. You know, you stop walking like this. You know, you, you start walking like, you know, with, with some class about you. And and you like Mrs. Bouquet, you start inviting people for candlelit dinners. <laughs> and so what we what <laughs> Mrs. Bucket. And so what happens is, because you're on a different scale, everything begins to change in your life. Now, 
this incredible church is about to go to another scale altogether. You're about to enter into a window of harvest. Everybody has to be involved. Everybody Amen. has to be involved. Amen. You see, in the harvest season in Zimbabwe, if you're going to the communal areas in harvest season, everybody's involved. And one of the reasons for it is because in some, like in the Motoko area and in the uh, Motoroshanga area, Marondera area, when the, may, when the meal is, when the maize is right, the corn is ready, before people get to it, hordes and hordes of baboons will come in and destroy that crop. So when it's harvest time now, the baboons know that there's a ready crop that we're going to eat. So people can't even sleep. They have to sleep in the fields and chase those critters away. Or else you're not going to have a harvest. Because the devil knows just as well as you do when your harvest is ready. And if you sleep, he's going to take what you have worked so hard for. Jesus gave us a promise. He says, if you sow, you're going to reap. If you plant a seed in quality soil, you're going to get a quality product. He says, when you sow, you will reap. Pray for laborers to come. Now, the principle is this. David was planted as a seed in his generation. I don't despise the fact that I'm a black African man living in Zimbabwe. When, when Alan's dad and Alan, Marvin, Regan, came into my life personally, it was to help me purge the soil of my life. I was raised initially from a Muslim background. My parents, my mother was Muslim, most of her family still Islamic. So there was a lot of stuff in my soil that had to be purged. So when they came into my life, the, the dimensions that they added to my life was to extract the sulfur from my life and sow the seed in my life. Are you watching this now? Now, I have come to the realization that the reason I was not born in America as an African-American in Chicago or Dallas is because God chose the seed to be planted in that particular country. I had no choice in where I should be planted. So now I have been growing in institution that is antagonistic to the kingdom of God. Ancestor worship, all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. But the word of God sown in my life has been growing in an institution that has been antagonistic but with constant nurturing and deliberate deliberation and growing of the word. We've been breaking down Africanism that is antagonistic to the kingdom message. We're now seeing a ministry in the nation that has taken root and growing and is being effective where even the government is now beginning to turn and look towards some of the things we're doing and saying. Because when you sow a seed, the harvest will come. Amen. It will come. Amen. This is not a time for us to snooze. This is a time for us to be absolutely, absolutely alert. We have to be positioned because there is a prodigious harvest that is about to be reaped. We have to employ every possible person. The sick, the lame, the lazy, the weak, the blind, the, everybody has to be involved in this harvest. You cannot come to this church and expect Alan and Yvette and Zane and all the other little fellows that spin around here when it's praise and worship to do the work. Every person here is going to have to be involved in this harvest. In prayer, in giving, in working, because this harvest is so crucial. It's about to establish the purpose of God for what these folks were born for. Oh, I like it. When I was preaching in Benin in, in, in July last year, every time I'd make a great point, those African people, are friends speaking, they would turn to one another and say, I like it. <laughs> turn to somebody and say, I like it. <laughs> now, David was sown in his generation. And as a seed, 
as he was sown. And the interesting thing about David is this, is that David made a statement that, that is interesting. If I can just throw a little spin on this. David said in one of his writings, he said, he said, I was born in sin. I was conceived in iniquity. And so there's a very strong implication that David was an illegitimate son of, Jeff, of Jesse. Because when Samuel comes in, second, in 1 Samuel 16, when he comes to Bethlehem to anoint David as king, David is not there. He's far away looking after a handful of sheep. Is it possible? Because the Bible says the elders were so terrified that the man of God was coming to the city. Is it possible that Jesse was trying to hide his sin? Now let me back up just a little and qualify some of what I'm saying here. Ruth was assisting Naomi. Ruth's husband, Naomi's son, had died in Moab because Ruth had gone with her husband to Moab for bread. Bethlehem was in a drought. When they get to Moab, her sons marry Orpha and Ruth. Dad and the two boys, for whatever reason, die in the land of Moab. Naomi is fixing to go back to Bethlehem, and she says to her daughter-in-law, Now, girls, you serve me well. Go back to your people. Orpha said, I'm leaving. Ruth said, I'm going with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, my people. Your God will be my God. So when they come now to Bethlehem, Naomi has lost everything because they had sold the inheritance to go to Moab. Because they're hungry, Ruth then is instructed, go and glean in the field of Boaz. The gleaning principle is interesting because if anything fell out of a, a harvester's hand while they were harvesting, if anything fell out of their hand, it was illegal for them to pick it up again. Through a providential care of the Holy Spirit, it was given to those that were impoverished and poor, and they could legitimately and legally pick that up without paying taxes on it and without having to legitimize that. So Ruth now is serving Naomi, a destitute church, a barren church, a church that has lost everything. So as she's picking up, she's actually sowing into her future. Boaz, the hunk, comes to check out the harvest. When he gets there now, he sees this young lady working in the field. And he says, hmm, hmm, who is that? They said, well, this girl is out of California. He said, well, I can see that it's the way she walks, you know. And he said, well, I tell you what, guys, drop handfuls on purpose because when he hears the etymological structure of where she comes from and what she's done to serve Ruth, uh, Naomi, it's commendable. Now, long story short, when Boaz marries Ruth, Boaz is an owner of the largest field or, or wheat-producing enterprise in the entire Bethlehem area. He is literally the bread basket for the entire Israel. Ruth and Boaz have a son whose name is Obed. Obed inherits the field. He is supplying the whole nation with bread. Jesse comes along. Somewhere between Jesse and when Samuel comes to David, they lost the field because David is looking after sheep. What happened to the family business? It's possible that Jesse had to pay the business in compensation for his sin in David being conceived because David was always a misfit. Even when he was supposed to be mentored by Samuel and David and others, or Saul and others, he could never ever be recognized for who he really was. So it's most possible 
that David was an accident, an oops, saith the Lord situation. But he was sown as a seed in a season. Because when he was sown as that seed, the Bible says he served his generation according to the will of God. How old are you? You know you could have been 47 my age. Why is that? Why is it that you're white and 17 in Granbury and you're not black and 47 in Zimbabwe? Exactly. It means that you have been sown into this generation not just to draw the oxygen from it. You have been sown into this generation to serve it. Now, because you are sown to this generation, you have to expect a harvest. Harvest comes in three ways. Number one, harvest comes individually. You, Zane, will reap a harvest in your life. For the seeds you have sown, you will reap a harvest. Number two, harvest come in families. What the family has sown, sometimes four generations ago, you begin to reap. What granddaddy ladder sowed in Arkansas, whatever he sowed, you are eligible for that harvest. Abraham sowed a seed, and Levi, who wasn't even born, was reaping the harvest of that seed. So what my grandfather sowed, my grandfather, John Bismarck, in 1914, somebody gave me a photo of what my grandfather sowed when he first came to Rhodesia back then, southern Rhodesia, when he entered the soil of that country from a strange country, he prayed to a God that he had a certain knowledge of, and he promised God some things, that all of his lineage would serve him, and all of his lineage would be prosperous and blessed. When I got a hold of that prayer, I said, I'm going to reap that family harvest, because it's time now for that harvest. Tell the psalmist, I like it. And then there is a corporate harvest that can be, firstly, for an entire church or an entire business or even a national harvest. We are seeing in various nations what was sown years ago. Entire nations are being harvested in revival. Argentina, Colombia, Nigeria, Uganda, and now beginning in Zimbabwe. Indonesia, another one. Where entire nations are ripening. In the country of the United States of America, there is a wonderful visitation to African-American people. There is a harvest amongst African-American people that is almost unprecedented. It's phenomenal. And there is also a harvest coming to Hispanic people. It's absolutely phenomenal what God is doing. So we have to time that harvest because it's a corporate harvest. It's a block of people. It's a corporation where once something was sown, a benefit and a harvest is on its way. So now... The essence of this word is this. Even though there have been seeds sown and a harvest is imminent, the Lord says something over and above that. He says, fellas, I'm sending you into places where you have not sown and you are going to reap a harvest. This is the principle where the, the reaper is going to overtake the sower. In other words, you won't have done a single thing to earn what's coming your way. Not a single thing. You won't have sown a seed. You won't have got up in the morning, labored and worked hard and planted that stuff, prepared your soil. He guarantees us. He says, you are going to reap where you have not sown. I got a feeling it's about time to reap in this place. We're just tired of Granbury being a through town. 
where people just come here for a weekend and take the catfish out of your lake. <laughs> and the bass, I might add. They must sow their own lake. But I got a feeling that there's a visitation coming to this region. God's about to do something on a scale that you've not been accustomed to. You have to be prepared. The Bible says here in Isaiah, the Bible says the day that the child was ready to come, there was no strength to push her out. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? You know, trying to be a role model amongst African men, uh, when Chichi was giving birth to our son, Dream, 20 years ago, uh, I was one of the first to go into the delivery ward. You know, you know. Mm. <laughs> Trying to show everybody that I'm the man, you know. But uh, it was such a wonderful, frightening, concerning experience. And uh, I, had, I have great admiration for women as a result of that one experience and then the others, of course, that I followed suit and tried to portray the role of men in our society. And, but in the next room, while Chi-Chi was giving birth to Dreen, in the next room was an Asian lady that wasn't well. And because she didn't have strength to give birth to that baby, uh, they called for, for Chi-Chi's uh, gynae and said, Dr. Celius, you better come very quickly. Uh, Mrs. Bismarck seems to be doing quite fine here. This Indian lady is about to die. She doesn't have the strength to push out this baby. She could die and the baby could die because the baby was stuck in the birth canal. Now, you can have worked hard sowing the seed, taking the sulfur out of the soil, making sure the devil doesn't grab your harvest, make sure that your plants are in place, and the day for harvest come, and you don't have the strength to birth the harvest. You die, and the baby dies. Or, you die, the baby lives and you don't enjoy your harvest. Or the baby dies and you have to start all over again. I got a feeling that you all have worked so hard for so long. You're going to push this harvest out. Amen. You've come for, you've come how many thousands of miles to this place. Of all the places God could have sent that outstanding woman, sent her here. Yes. Because her harvest is coming to this region. It's beyond a local church. It's on a scale that's corporate. When a visitation comes to a city, it's because God has earmarked that city for his will. I'm going to tell you a couple of things and then I'm going to pray. Do I have time? <clears throat> In the month of uh, November, um, it was actually the 31st of October, um, I was preaching for John Kilpatrick in Pensacola. And uh, this Sunday, I was coming to Dallas to preach for Bishop Jakes. And I must admit, I was really tired because I've been going, 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 going. So when we landed in Pensacola, Florida, uh, they had our times mixed up. We had uh, Elliot, my administrator, and I had flown. It was like 27 hours flying time. But total traveling time with layovers was like 36 hours. I was so tired, I had both eyes in one socket. <laughs> So when we arrived at Pensacola Airport, which isn't that much to write home about anyway, there was nobody to meet us there. And I was remarkably patient. I was remarkably serene 
and docile. You know, I wasn't like, don't they know we here? Don't they read their schedules? And so on and so forth. I was so calm. It was unbelievable. I thought there was something wrong with moi. <laughs> and so eventually, after two and a half hours waiting at the airport, we finally managed to track somebody down. They came and picked us up. We had a bite to eat and went to bed. And I slept so well. The next morning, got up and had a long run. But I could feel something there. Friday night, we went to the service and it was one of the most incredible single meetings I've been in in my entire life. Because that church operates under an open heaven. And if you've been to Pensacola, you know exactly what we're talking about. And then during the service, Pastor John Kilpatrick came in and we talked a little. And then after we prayed for hundreds and hundreds of people, um, he then had left and left a message. He really wanted to have dinner with me and chat with me, and it was something apparently that he doesn't normally do with pastors or preachers that are coming through for the first time. And we sat in a little little diner, and uh, we had onion soup. And uh, he was telling me about this revival, which I feel to share, and not just share, but to impart to you. He said to me, in 1989, the Lord spoke to him one morning and said, uh, if you will preach everything I tell you to preach, I'm going to come visit this town. Every Sunday night, for years, they got to pray, just prayed and prayed and prayed. And he said from a typical Assemblies of God background, they just did what they knew to do and were kind of breaking the kinds of tradition from that particular world. He said then Father's Day, 96 or 95, Father's Day, uh, he said they were trying to hurry people out. Well, you know how it is. It's Mother's Day or Father's Day. The restaurants are all filling up. You want people there early because you've got bookings and you want to eat. You know, it's your favorite indoor sport. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just messing with you. And uh, he said, he got up there, you know, trying to hurry the program along. He said something hit him. He said this <clears throat> came into the church. It just hit him and he fell on the floor. He said he could hear everything. But he couldn't see a thing, he said, because the glory was so thick, it closed his eyes. He couldn't open his eyes because the glory was so thick. He said he was lying there literally paralyzed for four and a half hours. He said eventually, when somebody had the strength to get up, put him in a chair, he said to them, please help me open my eyes. And, and he had to put his arm on the armrest like this and pry one of his eyes open. And he said, and the first thing he saw was revival a four-year-old girl who had been crying for four hours. Tears had wet her entire dress. And she was saying, Mother, aren't they beautiful? And her mother was saying, What are you seeing? She said, Oh, there's angels everywhere. I see angels. And he said, The anointing, Oh, I feel it here. He said, The anointing was so thick in that place that, that this was now like five o'clock in the afternoon. So much for Father's Day lunch. He said, they only went home at 1 o'clock in the morning. Thank you very much. 1 o'clock Monday morning. When they came to work on Monday, they couldn't even work. The anointing was just heavy in the whole place. This is a real thing I'm telling you. I picked up a stone when I was there. And I said, the anointing's in this whole place. I picked up a stone. And I'll tell you what, I'm not a superstition, a superstitious kind of a person. I'm not even half goofy. You know? I didn't even watch the goofy movie. But I tell you what, that stone, every time I'll hold that stone, you can feel the anointing in that place. 
He said they went and had church Monday night just to gather. He said people just came and sat Tuesday. That entire deal went on for six years every night for six years. And the only reason they slowed it down was because they were worn out. Six years, church every night. Over eight and a half million people from all parts of the world went through that church in six years. Eight and a half million people. He said in the second month when the revival began to grow, he said this, oh, I feel the anointing in this place now. He said that little one-horse airport, he said 747 started landing from Hong Kong, Korea, Indonesia, Europe, where plane loads of people were coming. He was reaping a harvest that he didn't even sow. Eight and a half million people in six years went through that church. He said, he said because he's such a skeptic, he would sit there and wonder if this was God. He said he was the only one that could see it. He said at night, he said the Holy Spirit would really only begin to move with power after midnight. He said like about midnight and people were still, they said people would line up from six in the morning. He said his staff would leave at four o'clock in the morning, have breakfast at an IHOP, catch a quick shower and get back in the line to be in church the next night. He said they timed how, how quickly the church would fill. He said they would open the doors at six. He said he timed it one night. The two and a half thousand seater main auditorium minus the two overflow rooms, that two and a half seater auditorium filled in two and a half minutes. Now that's a harvest that you're reaping where you haven't sown. And it would be a tragedy if the whole church was weak not to deliver that thing. Watch this now. He said at, after midnight, he said many nights he could see the atmosphere gather like, 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 like water gathering in, in, in columns and bubbles, just gathering. He said and when he'd see that, he said this power of God would come in the place. He said he's prayed for millions of people, clothes hanging, the lining of his clothes coming out, hanging over the jacket. He said they'd be soaking wet every night and they'd beg God to stop moving because they were exhausted and tired, functioning on two hours sleep a day for five years. He said one night he was sitting in his chair saying, God, what are we going to do tonight? He said and in the balcony, he saw these bubbles, you know, like when a kid is playing with soap water and blowing bubbles. And he said he got really ir irritated or agitated because he thought somebody had allowed their child to blow bubbles from the balcony in the church and thought, you know, what's this, not Disney World. And the Holy Spirit said, that's not a child, that's my healing that's come in the house. It's my healing. Go and command healing. He said he went to the pulpit. He said, and so unassemblies of God, like, like, you know, he got up there and he began to command healing. He said, you know like when a camera is, is just picking up a whole crowd, he said it's like his, 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 his eyes went like a camera that focused on one person, shut out the whole auditorium and focused on one woman. And he said he began to quote medically the condition that she had, a bad back. And he said, 
when he, he said, you're healed, he said, an arrow, a silver arrow, he saw it, came out of his mouth about that size, a dart, and struck the woman right here, and she screamed, and he thought, my God, I killed her. <laughs> and the Lord said, no, she just got healed. He said he ran back there. This woman had such excruciating back pain for many, many years. Some of her vertebrates had been, had been messed up and taken out and all that, and she wasn't even able to, 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 to lie down. She was doing aerobics there, bending, twisting, and all that stuff. God had totally healed her. And a woman in the next row began to scream. And he went to investigate a man that was her husband who was an ex-Vietnam war vet who had his whole hand up to here blown off by a hand grenade. He said when he got there, he, began, he saw the hand literally growing. He said the thumb was out when he got there and the rest of the fingers were growing. He said it was like frightening. Now listen guys, I've seen some stuff in my life. I've seen some phenomenal miracles. I've seen some incredible moves of the Holy Spirit. And just, just coming here onto this ground, I'm sensing some stuff. The kinds of things that, that Pastor Allen's been believing God all his life. The things that he was trained for. The things that he's believed for. The things that he still prays about. The things that he's convinced about. The things that he walks Granbury and driving for. That visitation is coming. What this church was built for. The visitation that you were designed for is coming. My God, God is giving some of you strength to reap a harvest that you have not sown. He has worked all these years working on your soil, working on your soil. The seed's been planted. Devil, shut up. The harvest is here and no man can stop it. Someone say, I like it. My second deal, and then I'm going to pray. As a, as, a, as a coming up years ago, I always prayed. I said, God, if you're doing anything in the world, I want to be a part of it. And we've been a part of some really wonderful revivals corporately. And one of those was, uh, oh, I could tell you about so many, but one of those was in Nigeria a couple of years ago. I met an incredible young man when I was preaching for Bishop Jakes from Nigeria. And we, he invited me to come, and I took a team of fellows, and we went over to Nigeria. <clears throat> Americans don't have a clue of what the rest of the world goes through. Generally, generally. You know, you just you don't have a clue. Um, I was kind of laughing at Brian, our administrator, um, because he's on this, uh, what do you call it, fast... DSL, that's like quick internet stuff, you know. And uh, a friend of mine emailed me today from Ghana, and he said to me, he said, he said, Tude, I got your email. I sent him an email a week after Christmas to wish him Happy New Year, and he just got it yesterday. <laughs> I thought, man, are they, are they African guys carrying this email, you know? <laughs> or are they standing behind the screen and saying, you know, all right, change, change, you know? <laughs> I don't know. But he says the server was down, you know. And, and the thing is, I was telling Timothy on the way here that we applied for a telephone line in our home a year and a half ago. And we got a letter and they said to us, Mr. Bismarck, Mr. and Mrs. Bismarck, you've been successful. We processed your, your application. A year and a half ago we applied. You're now eligible for a telephone line. We're going to put in your line a year from now. 
you don't have a clue. Really, you, you have no clue. And, and when, when you have Gore and Bush in Florida talking about chads, I laugh, you know, because in our part of the world, he that has the biggest gun ruleth. <laughs> Forget about this democracy stuff. Why should you want people to vote? Just make them walk there. The books is already there. We've already counted. We know who's going to be president for life. So in Nigeria, during the time of tremendous suffering and struggle uh, from General Babangida and the final one, General Abacha, who were Muslim rulers, tyrants, killers. When Abacha died, the church prayed him out. But when he died, they found at the back of the presidential palace, they found hundreds of human remains of people that he had killed, not just for sacrifice, but people that he just didn't like, just shot them, and there was nothing anybody could do. Frightening conditions, frightening, suffering on a scale that's unbelievable, uh, poverty on a scale that is unbelievable, unbelievable. And uh, when we went there, we, we witnessed a move of God that is unprecedented anywhere in the world. The prayer meeting that we were a part of, the meetings we were a part of, they were gathering over a million people for prayer. Over a million people. Most of those people walked. Some of them for over a day to get to those prayer meetings. Stay there without any meals, no bathroom breaks, no water to drink, no food to eat. And not stand there and ponder, but pray as if God was deaf at the top of their voice and is that as if that was the last day they were on the earth. Nothing like it. It's an entire nation that's turned to God. It's a nation where the Muslim religion was ruling and advancing. It's now diminishing and decreasing because that nation has come into the time of its harvest. A.A. Allen prophesied that. The same thing is happening in Uganda where T.L. Osborne prophesied it. T.L. Right. Osborne sowed the seed. Today they are men like Robert Kayanjo who are reaping a harvest. They haven't sown. They are reaping somebody else's harvest. Well, they've sown to a degree, but they are reaping another man's <coughs> harvest. That's what you're entering into here. And I pray with all of my heart. Of the people in the world that we honor the most, right here. Alan Ladder is the most incredible Christian I know. We won't even talk about summer. We love summer. <clears throat> but when we pray, we pray that the entire will and purpose of God would be fulfilled here and it's about to happen. God's about to empower you. He's about to anoint you. He's about to bless you. There's a visitation coming here. It's beyond what you can make, what you can fabricate, what you can engineer, what you can plan for, what you can sing for, what you can write for, what you can preach for, what you can pray for, what you can testify for, what you can dance for. It's beyond that. It's a visitation from the Holy Spirit that's coming. And it's about time that this area had a move of God. Right. We're just yeah. tired of hearing what happens in Fort Worth and in Dallas. Yeah, Lord.
Someone say it's time to reap. Come on, say it's time to reap. So Mary is under a siege. The enemy is out there. The people in the city have become cannibals. They're eating one another's kids. They're eating strange stuff. The four lepers outside. God has a way to use the most unusual instruments when it's time to reap. Who would have expected a visitation of God to come on the scale it came to Toronto or Pensacola or Nigeria or Argentina? Who would have expected God to use this young man who doesn't know what color tennis shoe he should be wearing on what foot? I'm just messing with you, sir. Amen. Who would have expected that? Who would have expected God to use you in this move as the most unlikely person? Those four lepers were the most unlikely individuals that brought the revival. They went to reap where they didn't sow. David served his generation and served it well. I gathered our staff and I said, guys, I said, I'm 47 years old. In, in eight years, I'm going to be 55. I said, but when I'm 55, I'm not going to be pastoring this church. We've already appointed the person that's going to be taking that church. We're grooming them. We have an eight-year plan for him. But even more than that, we are now, we've appointed the person that's going to take over from him. And he's 17. And we have, for that young man, we have a 16-year plan. And he's going to reap where I didn't reap. He's going to get stuff that I only dreamed about. But here, it's time to reap. Father, I thank you for this wonderful church. I thank you for the temperament of this church. I thank you for the, the, the tenor, the tempo of this phenomenal body. I thank you for the pastors from Granbury as a whole that have come to participate in this kingdom event. I thank you, Father, that this apostolic prophetic mandate that is being released here is for the entire region. We receive it. We say it's time for harvest. We pray that you'll strengthen our people. Give us strategists, men and women that are able to handle the scope and the magnitude of this revival, this move of God, this investment, this deposit of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for taking us to another scale. Another scale. Father, we believe you. We believe you that we were born for such a time as this and that eventually you are going to show up and prove to this entire region that money doesn't rule, that, that elitism doesn't rule, but that the kingdom of God rules and that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and the kingdoms of his Christ and that you will reign forever. Thank you, Father, for what you are doing and establishing here. We believe in you for the visitation to households. We believe in you for an outpouring of the supernatural, for an outpouring of hunger and desire for you. We bless your name. And we exhort you. As we say in Jamaica, in Jesus' name. 
Zane, come. I want you to help me sing Here I Am to, to Worship. Here I Am to Bow Down. Amen. Where's our soprano singer? Come, girlfriend, come. Hallelujah. <coughs> Bass, drums, uh, lead singer, uh, lead guitarist. Amen. You're standing with us. You're standing. I hope I didn't take too much time. Did I do okay? I did great. All right. No, I mean, next time if, if Pastor Allen announces, you know, that I'm coming, I say, oh, no, that guy, he doesn't know when to stop. One guy said to me, he said one time, he said, you took so long. He said, you started preaching. When you finished, I needed a shave. Just the chorus. I just want to just, just worship with you just for t twice around the chorus. Amen. Because I can see the Holy Spirit settling on some people on a different scale altogether. Amen. This is the receive mode. Just to receive this moment. Here I am to worship. Ooh. Here I am to bow. Here I am to say that you are my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together Bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you. His countenance be kind towards you. May he give you peace and joy. May you be blessed in the city, in the field, coming out, going in. May everything you touch be blessed. May Jabez's prayer be your prayer. May he give you increase and enlargement of territory. May he keep you from evil. May he prevent you from causing harm. And may he establish you. May he give you life and not death. Blessing and not cursing, you are above and not beneath. You are the head and not the tail. We declare increase in your life. We declare strength in the season of, of harvest in the name of Jesus. Let's praise the Lord as Pastor comes. Amen. God bless you all. Amen. God bless you. Sir. Bless you, sir. Are you wore out? No, I'm fine. Anything you want me to do? That's our children. Sure. Sure. If you're here and your parents are in agreement with it, you don't have to go right now. If you could just line up across the front, if you're um, in seventh grade and up, if you could just line up across the front. I'd like to have Tudor just lay his hands and bless you. Jesus did this, so he lay his hands on children Amen. and bless them. And so if you guys could just come forward, if your parents, parents are in agreement with it, uh, the early 20 crowd could come as well. Don't get in line for prayer more than once, okay? Our children, our children are, our children are messengers to the future. Amen. We're sending them with a message to the future. Amen. So we want to just bless some of the most incredible people in all of Texas right here. 
for the things that God is going to entrust to you. Oh, you're just so incredible. You go get all your money. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, well, firstly, we pray corporately over the young women and the young men here. In the midst of any form of confusion in their lives, any form of turmoil, any form of disruption of their personal life agenda, I pray for an order to come. And I pray that years of, of literal success will be a direct result of the seeds that have been sown in their lives. We pray for protection. Corporately, I pray a breaking of generational curses. We pray a breaking of iniquitous patterns that will inhibit our children to go further in education, to go further uh, in business, to go further in, in, our, in faith. We pray, Father, that these children would be ten times greater than the parents and more, that they would be in, in their lifetime so much more ahead. We pray that you would protect the investment made in their lives. Father, we pray for a, a spiritual harvest, that there'd be a revival amongst the young people, the youth of this church, that you would raise up, oh, in the name of Jesus, that you would raise up men and women on fire for you. We pronounce corporately the blessing on each one of them. Let apostles and prophets and missionaries and business individuals, let pastors come out of this incredible group, doctors and that are just given to medicine but to healthcare around the world. We're praying for visionaries. We're praying for those that know how to write grants. We're praying for inventors. Oh, in the name of Jesus. We're praying for men and women that are going to form companies. We're praying for those that are going to travel around the world. We're praying for those that are going to be involved in, in the political arena that will live in Washington, D.C. as lawmakers and begin to set the kinds of agendas and policies that will continue to keep America a righteous nation. Loose that anointing on all the young men and women here. Loose blessing and success. We lose stability. We lose stability. We lose a strength in self-esteem. We release that corporately, your Father. We lose a godly confidence as to know who we are and to know the purposes for which you have called us for. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to start over here. In the name of Jesus. Just begin to receive it as we pray for you. In the name of the Lord. It is so. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Keep this one, Lord. In we lose an anointing of grace and strength upon your life. You're a very strong young lady. You're blessed, you're anointed, chosen of God, a testimony to this generation of what God will and can do. Strengthen this woman's faith, Lord. Strengthen her faith. Give her sheer courage and guts in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord. Thank you for the anointing. Loose it. Oh, in the name of, ooh, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I pray for healing in her spirit. Hey, in the name of Jesus. Bring an inner healing. 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 In the name of Jesus. We confirm it in Jesus' name. Beautiful within and without. Protect this young lady. Keep her, Father, in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Oh, yes. Blessed, anointed, highly favored of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus. Serve him. 
with all your heart, serving. Bring your spirit, your mind, your soul, your life in total subjection. Control your destiny in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, grow the word in this man. Grow the word in this man. Grow it. Stretch it. Stretch it. Stretch it. Stretch it. He will complete what he's begun in you. Father, grow him up. 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 Grow him up in the name of Jesus. Oh. I command the blessing of the Lord upon your life. I declare you are blessed. Every stone wall that's built around your heart, we stand against it. Father, we lose a palatable heart and spirit where the word of God can shape this man for his future perfect. I command the enrichment of blessing in his life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Father, lead this woman into her future perfect. I command the blessing. Oh, yes, more, more. We call for more, more, more. In Jesus' name, I command the blessing. I command the blessing in Jesus' name. Thank you. Continue saying thank you. I command the blessing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God's growing you. You're having to be a lot more mature than most of your age group. But it's good for you. It's good for you because of where He's taking you. I command the richness of the Lord in your life, the blessing. Every abusive spirit we take control of and we lose the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Take a step back. In Jesus' name. Blessed. Oh, what a special lady. Blessed in the name of Jesus. My God, what a special woman in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Right here. Right here. Right here in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We impart that the gifts will be stirred. In Jesus' name. Amen. You haven't had much in your life. You haven't been privileged in your life. But it really doesn't matter. God's about to promote you and bless you and lift you. In Jesus' name. Bless above measure. Bless. We have seen commandments to bless. We have received commandments to bless. And we lose it now in the name of Jesus. All of God. Oh yes. Move in his heart, Lord. All suffer move. In the name of Jesus. Bless him, Lord. Bless him. Bless him. Bless him. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Oh. Are you all sisters? In Jesus' name. Bless my sister. Oh, yes. You have a powerful future. Look after it. Look after it. Keep it. Protect it in the name of Jesus. 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 Oh. 
in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Put your hand like this right here. More of this heart. He wants more of this heart. More of it. He wants more of it. The more you give it, the more he is blessing you. More. 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 In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I command the richness of heaven upon your life. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Bless now, Lord. It's not been easy for you. It's not been easy for you, but God is with you. God is with you. Now unleash, unleash a level of your blessing on him in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Everything in your life, you, you just have to work for everything you get. You just have to work for it. In the kingdom of God, to a certain extent, that's true. But you, you can't work for God's grace. That's already free. You can't work for His benefits and His blessings. That's already yours. And you have to believe Him for it. Because you, you, you're in a maze. But watch God begin to come and visit you and work in you and bless you. None of us are worthy of his blessing, but we are worthy because of what Christ did for us. God's going to grow you. He's going to enlarge your shoulders. You're going to carry responsibility for him. He's going to enlarge your capacity to receive. You must become a man of the word. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Cause him to be a man of the word. Grow his faith. Grow his faith in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Which way? In the name of the Lord. Oh, you got a long way to go. Amen. You got a long life. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Father, give him longevity, strength, grace. Empower this man. Oh. Oh, that's the Holy Ghost. That's the power of the Holy Spirit coming all over you. Bless him in Jesus' name. Oh, yes. More. 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 Hallelujah. Oh, man, we have a winner right here. We got a long slugger here. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> we command the blessing of the Lord so blessed so blessed so blessed I command heaven's best that every curse every demonic design every familiar spirit every assignment we put aside and that the angels of the Lord would encamp around this lovely child and that the blessing of God will be released in its full measure and scale in Jesus name in Jesus name right here too in Jesus name oh in the name of Jesus thank you Lord for children 
of destiny, children with destiny. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Is this one family? Uh, this one goes with this one right here. Oh. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Keep this one. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you. Come. You are a really special young lady. Very special. You carry, you carry a ton of anointing. You carry, you, you carry a ton of stuff. You are loaded. And, and, and God's going to start using you more. And more. And more. You've been running on the outside lane for a long time. But God's bringing you into another lane. Run, Forrest, run. In Jesus' name. Oh, I like you. In Jesus' name. What a special woman in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You were unique. You were a unique cut. A unique. A unique. The miracle of the high priesthoodship was that there was only one garment made, just one, for Aaron. And when Aaron was going to die, the Lord said, Aaron, uh, you and Moses are going up. I'm going to take you home today. And he said to Moses, when Aaron, before he dies, you must take off his garment, and he and you must dress Eliezer. So Eliezer had to be the same height, build, shoulders, height with his daddy. And he lays his son the same. And for every generation. Because the miracle is that they had to grow into the anointing. You, you have grown into an incredible vessel. But I tell you what. God's going to grow you beyond all of us. And you must be patient. Because what you're doing is you're trying to open the rows. It's kind of open. And when it does, God's going to use you. The word of the Lord is in you. This season for you is, is in the word more. Get in the word, in the word. Get your roots down. Get your roots down. Because, you know, I travel so much and I'm getting to really not really like it so much. But what's in me is years of getting the word in me. The word in me. And, and be a man of prayer. You have an example right there. You must be a man of prayer. Just come and lay before the Lord. And let him saturate you. Just let him saturate you. Because in the years to come, you're going to need this banking account. The reason a lot of guys overdraw early in their life is because they never put anything in the bank. Make a lot of deposits now, Zane. Ooh. In Jesus' name, bless. Father, take him beyond what he's anticipated. Let the blessing of a thousand times come on him. Stretch him. Bless him. Anoint him. Use him. Open doors.
in every kind of world open doors open doors happen to be an amphibious being comfortable in every kind of world oh powerful amen did i miss anybody amen the animal on the drums <laughs> praise the lord amen come come stand your son amen come stand your Father tune this man's ear to to hear the beat of heaven to 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 hear the beat of heaven Thank you for causing him to 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 hear and to respond to what he hears We command your blessing we command it that this would be a season of rapid growth in his life in Jesus name amen you're blessed thank you for your kind hospitality sure the word i had was the teens and the early 20 anybody else early 20s am any vet early 20s <laughs> come speak up come Uh, it's uh, it's not church it's not about church it's relationship and and once your relationship with the lord gets tight the church thing is easy um God wants to I I don't want to say prove because that's too tacky a word in this instance but God wants to prove himself to you you have to let him because in in him, him proving himself to you he's going to show you that he is not an answer but the answers for the things that you so deeply desire and what we've been playing here is cat and mouse tag kind of situation where today not today next week maybe not but god's been courting you gently working with you and giving you opportunity and chance because of what he wants to do in your life and because of what you carry within you you carry stuff not just for you but for another generation yeah. that that you that you have to nurture and develop you are to reap what others have sown that's why you fight unreasonable battles because the enemy knows that it's all kinds of stuff that you're fighting and fighting because you are eligible to reap an inheritance that others have sowed and and once you tighten the steel there's coming a release in your life he is going to prove himself to you in the name of jesus yeah. father whoever he is and whatever you have planned for his future perfect yeah. 
We release it tonight. We thank you, Father, that as he comes into a deeper awareness and relationship, ooh, yes, his rightful inheritance will be released systematically. In the name of Jesus, bless his hands. In Jesus' name, someone say, I receive. I command the blessing of the Lord upon my sister. In Jesus' name, keep this lady and bless. Amen. Father, bless our friends, Pastor Alan, Pastor Yvette. Thank you for the great grace you placed upon their lives. Thank you, Father, for stretching their vision. Thank you, Father, for the burden and the compassion and the deep faith they have for this entire subregion. Command your blessing in Jesus' name.